Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at some of our customer and clients' most common questions and concerns, including the likelihood of a recession, whether commodities are still a good investment, and our view on investing in real estate, with Phil Attreed, Head of Wealth Specialists, and Luke Pierce, Senior Investment Strategist. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Word on the Street. So this week we'll be tackling some of the top client questions uh, of the moment, uh, everything from the likelihood of a recession through to whether commodities still deserve a place uh, within our investment portfolios. And to help me answer these, I'm joined by one of our regular guests, Luke, who's an investment strategist within our asset allocation team, so helping us run these portfolios uh, here at Barclays. So Luke, maybe let's kick off with the bigger picture. Again, there appear to be some growing rumblings out there that the next global recession is already imminent. uh, And central bankers mostly seem to be expected to play the villain of this piece, forcibly choking off the economy in order to bring inflation that we're seeing globally back under control. So what's the team's latest assessment of the likelihood of such a recession in the next 12 to 18 months? And I suppose the big question, what can we do about it as investors? Yeah, I think the, the chances uh, of a recession over that time frame are certainly increasing. But I think if the last couple of years have taught us anything, uh, is that 12 to 18 months is an awfully long time. And so I don't think a recession is uh, by no means a foregone conclusion. Um, but for sure, global growth expectations are coming down. Uh, and there's still a lot going on, uh, which is complicating the near-term outlook. Um, inflation, which is obviously we, something something we've been talking a lot about uh, recently, that's still yet to peak and is still outpacing wages. Uh, so therefore, consumers are being squeezed. As you mentioned, central banks are in the midst of uh, aggressively raising interest rates to try and combat those elevated levels of inflation. Large swaths of China are still under lockdown, which is not only having large ramifications there, but also reigniting some consumers concerns around certain supply chains. Uh, And so in truth, it it is an increasingly complicated economic backdrop. And this hasn't really been lost on financial markets. So cyclical assets, uh, so those are assets that are a little bit more sensitive to changes in the economic outlook. They have really struggled this year as investors price in that, that slowdown. So examples would include certain stock market sectors. So for example, industrials or consumer discretionary uh, lower quality corporate bonds, so the kind of junkier parts of, of the credit market, uh, as well as certain currency pairs as well. So sterling versus the US dollar is, is a good example of a, a cyclical asset. All of those have really been underperforming. And really, this ties into the question a little bit about what can we do here as investors? Because I think the intuition for a lot of people would be, let's just reduce our exposure to risky assets and kind of sit on the sidelines and wait for uh, you know all this uncertainty and all these risks to kind of clear Unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. Um, it's not very easy to translate whatever data or whatever indicators that you might be looking at into profitable market timing. Uh, my job would be a hell of a lot easier otherwise. And so I think the answer for the vast majority of investors, if not all investors, is a boring but familiar one. Um, and that's to just diversify, have different assets in your portfolio, which are expected to do well in different economic environments. 
not just the one that we've been in during the past year or so. Quite. And you touched on um, on foreign currency there in, in particular and, and sterling. It won't be lost on uh, people, the movements in the pound of the last few weeks, particularly as we head into the summer period and people start to turn their attention to hopefully getting some time away, maybe in warmer climates. The pound has been falling sharply these last couple of weeks. Um, I know Will talked a little last week about the short-term outlook for the UK economy. And of course, a view reflected within our investment portfolios is, is an underweight position to the pound. Uh, so we own more assets overseas. Have any of these sharp moves caused any kind of reassessment of the team's views though yeah so obviously we're, we're constantly sort of reassessing our, our sort of um, current current views and, and trying to basically answer the question does the risk reward of those views still make sense so and as i mentioned earlier sterling is considered a, a cyclical currency so it tends to do well when the global and, and the uk economy is doing well and, and kind of vice versa um, and really, the, the modest underweight that, that we held to sterling in favour of the US dollar in portfolios was essentially a recognition that the UK economic outlook was a was a pretty murky one. So we felt that the combination of the Bank of England, you know, raising interest rates fairly sharply at a time when disposable incomes look set to be squeezed, um, primarily through elevated levels of, of inflation and energy prices in particular, that combination is not a particularly helpful one for for the UK economy. And actually, the, the Bank of England today, again, decided to raise interest rates by uh, another 25 basis points. Um, and investors are actually expecting quite a few more. Um, so they're actually currently expected to get up to around about two and a half percent by the end of next year, which to us feels quite optimistic, I think, um, given that economic backdrop that, that we talked about. Uh, if you consider the um, other side of the, the central bank on the other side of the pond, um, we had the Fed meeting earlier also this week. Uh, where they raised interest rates by 50 basis points. Uh, and a move of this size hasn't been done by the Fed uh, for over two decades. So the last time this was done was May 2000. So again, I think it reinforces how seriously they are viewing the threat of inflation uh, and current levels of inflation sort of seeping into future expectations of causing this kind of vicious cycle. Um, despite that, actually, though, investors still seem to be quite somewhat bizarrely reassured by Chairman Jay Powell's um, taking a potential 75 basis points at the next few meetings uh, some off the table. Um, and actually, it, that, that's probably quite reassuring because I think expectations had begun to build a little bit that that might be the case. Um, and actually, a lot more hikes are still expected from the Fed uh, as well. The question, uh, ultimately, I think the question is, will the health of the economy allow them to get there? And again, I think similarly um, in the US, markets are probably at this point more likely overestimating how far central banks can go rather than uh, sort of underestimating. Uh, and sort of as far um, on the way on sterling, as, as I said, the question as always is to what point that view has played out. Given the sharp moves, the risk reward is, is certainly deteriorating, but we still think it has room to run for now. Quite. Uh, and I mean, you, know, you touched on it there, the importance of you know, clarity of communication from the central bank, something that has improved over the years, but allows investors to sort of assess the risks a little bit clearer. So certainly we watch for with bated breath for sort of communication from the Fed centrally, but also some of the members um, of the different central banks as well. Another area that is of keen interest, I think, to uh, investors at the moment is the moves that we've been seeing in some of the big technology names, the big technology companies, which seem to have well, 
fallen out of bed a little bit over the last few weeks and months. Is there something for us to worry about more broadly? These are, after all, some of the companies that have been helping to keep stock markets, particularly in the US, afloat in the last couple of years. Yeah, and actually it's not just tech or tech-related companies, but large caps generally have been struggling recently. So, you know, if you're looking back at the kind of standard market cap weighted index, so in the US, for example, that would that would just be the S&P 500, that has been underperforming its equally weighted version sort of counterpart. So that's just a version of the S&P 500, which contains exactly the same companies, just holds them uh, at an equal weighting, not weighted on, on market cap. And that underperformance from large caps versus an equally rated version. That's quite uncommon to see during periods of economic slowdown. Um, so that, that's just a sort of an interesting um, dynamic that, that's been playing out over the last few months. It's obviously very easy for me to sit here with hindsight and say this, but I think it does perhaps highlight just how far expectations had run up uh, in a lot of these uh, large cap companies. You know, this idea that, that recent winners can only sort of continue on winning. I think that if you look at the dynamics of this earnings season, that really kind of highlights this too. So companies that have been beating expectations haven't really, you know, on the whole been rallying as much as you might uh, think or might have sort of expect to based on historical analysis. While any sign of a firm or company actually missing their numbers um, has been, you know, severely punished as the likes of Netflix and, and Amazon will attest to. Again, it's very easy for me to talk about this with hindsight, but it is another spark reminder that winners will change over time and your portfolio probably shouldn't be a concentrated bet um, on the idea that the current winners are, are infallible. And I suppose that leads quite nicely into some of the moves we've been seeing in commodities lately. I saw you know, a, a great article from Patrick Bilstein, who works with you in the asset allocation team, that was written in our publication in Focus a few weeks back now. And it talked about the role of the asset class in the long term you know, within investment portfolios and, and certainly contained quite a lot of very good detail. But I guess there's a couple of points to update here. As I say, we've seen some you know, significant moves across what is a pretty broad asset class in the last year or so and again you know year to date how has this maybe changed any of our shorter term views yes i think first of all when when obviously talking about commodities we need to be a a little bit careful not to generalize too much as they can have um, quite reasonably distinct drivers um, particularly around obviously when you're thinking about supply and demand there's some overlap across certain commodities uh, but for example precious metals are influenced by quite different things or factors than, say, energy or sort of industrial metals. Um, That said, I think there's generally two things that are pushing and pulling commodity prices uh, at the moment or or in the short term. Uh, Firstly, is really around the continued shortage of supply across various key commodity markets, um, which was obviously exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, And there's still a question around what Europe's energy dependence on Russia looks like uh, in the near term. And then the second point as well is around uh, potential waning demand from China, given the ongoing lockdowns. Now, historically, we have not held very strong short-term views on commodities for hopefully very good reasons. Not only do you need to understand both the supply and the demand dynamics in quite a lot of detail, there's also just a lot of unpredictable factors which can influence prices very rapidly as well, particularly around things like geopolitical risks, as we've seen recently. 
quite, so not getting too much into a, a guessing game there. But with regards to the longer term, have there been any changes to our thoughts of the role of the asset class, as I say, particularly given the magnitude of the moves that we've seen since we last made quite a significant change at the beginning of last year? Yeah, no, no, real, ta- uh, no real change to the longer term outlook, to be honest. So we still think commodities serve a really important role in portfolios, but they're one of the few asset classes which provide protection against unexpected rising inflation, you know, as we have seen in year-to-day or one-year performance of the asset class versus a lot of other traditional asset classes as well. So yeah, needless to say, they've been in- incredibly helpful to some of our client portfolios performance this year. I do think it's probably unreasonable to expect the same kind of performance that we've seen this year or over the last kind of year, every year going forward. But I would almost argue that's not the point. Absent a crystal ball, you want assets in your portfolio that do well in different economic environments that will hopefully provide a positive return over the long run. And commodities, as I said, do provide something very, very different to your kind of traditional stocks and bonds. And so do warrant a place in long-term portfolios, even if you don't necessarily expect the same kind of performance going forward. Absolutely, and they've certainly helped this year. Lastly, I just wanted to touch on uh, another area that clients often like to explore, and that being real estate as an investment, and and in particular residential real estate, which obviously many clients and listeners uh, will own and have exposure to. Uh, As you noted earlier on, interest rates have just gone up once again in the UK today and are still set to rise potentially a little further. Now, I saw Will making the point about the relationship or a relationship relationship between real interest rates and residential property prices in the UK. Now, I know we no longer, uh, as of last year, split out property as an asset class within our portfolios. But how do you weigh up the the relative case for, say, investing in a diversified multi-asset class portfolio or exposure relative to owning residential property at the moment, and particularly in, in light of sort of rising real interest rates? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. As you said, one we get asked a lot. I think in truth, it's it's difficult to exactly say whether buying, you know, directly buying residential real estate is is better uh, or worse than than a multi asset portfolio. As obviously a lot will depend on individual circumstances, and obviously there's quite a lot of differences to to weigh up. Obviously, with real estate, you often have access to substantial leverage. Um, that said, there's often an inability to effectively diversify. There are obviously huge regional differences in expected price appreciation. There's obviously recently the buy-to-let laws have changed, which arguably make it sort of less attractive to own on that basis. You have different mortgage rates and so on and so on. I think you kind of get the point. I think one thing to be mindful of, though, is that uh, I think at least some of the uh, some part of the enormous gains that homeowners have enjoyed um, have also coincided with a substantial decline in real interest rates. Um, there's reasonable evidence that, that that has been a tailwind. And so if we do see real interest rates continue to rise from here, as they, as they have done certainly year to date and in the last kind of six months or a year or so, it does stand to reason that that would act as a potential headwind for house prices moving forward. Now, in fairness, I don't, I don't think you know multi-asset portfolios um, they're not entirely immune to rising real interest rates, but I think at minimum it's worth evaluating or re-evaluating how the overall mix of your investments, multi-asset portfolios, and/or property might perform in a scenario where real interest rates continue to rise. And because I do think, um, given the inflation and, and the current sort of policy backdrop, the risks um, that real interest rate rise from here are certainly sort of larger than where we were a, a year ago today. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much, Luke, for the updates and really useful points made today. Thank you also, our listeners, for joining us. We'll be back again next week for another edition of Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.